100 shows. That's right, 100 shows. It's been a weird few years. We've done 100 shows of The Hunting Show. That's right, I'm your host, Stephen Spargo, and I'm joined by some very, very good friends, Mike Felton, Ian Hendel, Fenella De La Haye, and James Bell, uh, here at the Pub and Grub. And we've done a number of shows here at the Pub and Grub. It's kind of become the place we do shows. It's funny because I don't drink here normally. Um, but James actually introduced me to the Pub and Grub. It was, it was a show I did with you. It was the first show that I did here all that time ago. And another, another lifetime. Seems like a lifetime ago. You know, I was kind of thinking about it, and that was almost a year and a half ago. And that was the first time we met when we got talking about jet boil and cooking in the bush, hey. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was James Bell right here at the Pub and Grub in the beautiful Topol looking out on the lake. Now, this is, like I said, the 100th show, and I've got the suspicion, or I've had the suspicion, that Sam Wanker is going to email and say, it's actually not your 100th show. Well, it is really. It's my 100th numbered show, my 100th numbered show. So bonus shows and the odd thing I did a... Uh, an interview on Radio Live the other day and a few other bits and pieces, they aren't counted as actual shows. So this is my 100th show that matters, and there you go. So don't email me in. Hold those hands above the keyboard if you're going to be like that. And look, let's face it, real hunters don't write to me. (laughs) They listen, and they come and see me, and they give me some feedback on certain issues but they don't sit there and bash at the keyboard on something as petty as that. I just felt like I was going to get some feedback on that. Now, look, at summer. Mike Felton, you've been in the hills lately, I know that, and I haven't been as much, obviously. He had a bit of a sore ankle, but we did go out the other day. Um, how's, this, how's summer hunting been for you? There's no deer in the bush where I go, so everyone can stop trying to find my wagon, thank you. Um, yeah, no, lots of deer. Last month of, I've eyeballed probably about 18 deer. Haven't shot any because I haven't found the one I want to shoot yet. Um, but, yeah, no. Plenty of deer, hard, challenging stalking with the weather conditions, especially with the wind and the, then the blistering heat and then the freezing cold. But And people are going to think I'm mad when I say my next statement, but I was out on Friday evening and it was absolutely freezing. I mentioned this uh, to you, I think, uh, this morning, and I've had it confirmed by someone else who was down there, same place pretty much on Friday. I actually heard my first seeker roar this year. So there you go. Yes, call me crazy. Yeah, I'm not convinced, eh? Were you sure this thing wasn't just clearing its throat? Well, if it was clearing its throat, mate, I was about to clear my barrel. I'll put it to you that way. <laughs> and the interesting thing is I think that um, the summer hunting stuff is, it does have a different dynamic to raw hunting. Obviously, we're doing it completely differently. But the other day when you, uh, myself, and Fenella went out, we got pretty close. I mean, we were looking at being within 25 metres of an animal. It's... um. Would you agree? It's a, there's a lot of animals that are getting a lot closer to us than they would traditionally, or even in spring. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, where I took chicken that day with you. Uh, for now, it's your real name, but I call it chicken for other reasons. But um, I went down there, and I've renamed it uh, Paradise Valley because it is dear paradise. It really is. Um, last weekend, I was down there, my little dog, Sammy, who is just dynamite now, led me on to nine deer in that one valley in the space of six hours. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just wait for the wankles to go past, and before you think I'm swearing, it is a wankle engine. Um, and yesterday I went back down here, I, I didn't even get to said valley, and there were deer 
very, very close to the road where I was parked. So there are lots of deer in the hills. You've just got to get off your ass, say F the lawns, yeah. I'm going hunting, and go hunting. And you never, yeah, just like we said, you're not going to get any deer at home, are you? Well, you're not going to, you know, some of my... <laughs> 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 uh, uh, Ian just says I do because a little while ago I shot one and I didn't really need it, but I knew that Ian was a bit short of meat, so I dropped it off to him. So, um, you know, my, some of my best memories are hunting A with others and B by myself and C with my dog. And I don't remember a TV program I watched last night, but I can remember some hunting stories that go back to when I was a child. So, you know, if my values are maybe different than those who sit at home and play PlayStation. I'm not knocking them, but that's just not my thing. Um, you know, I want to get out and challenge myself and just see how I get on so yeah it's been really interesting because this summer like I, I get the, the the great privilege of traveling the entire North Island working for Hunter's Element and all I've heard are people griping about the summer and the weather and it's been too hot and it's been too wet and it's been too windy but every person that I've heard that's been getting out in the bush regardless of what the elements are doing are having a great time they're seeing deer they're seeing they're seeing prey they're seeing game because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the weather's doing. Dress for it. Get out there. That's it. It's not just that, too, but, I mean, a wild animal is a wild animal. It lives in those conditions. If you want to hunt your prey, you've got to become your prey. I know that sounds really... I don't know what the word is without trying to be bigoted, but... Um, the deer are still there. If it's pissing down in the rain, you can't mow your lawns. You're not going to go and do anything else outside... Why not hunt? Look at it from that, you know, that's the other side of that coin. I go hunting. I get wet. I have a shower, I get wet. No difference. You need a jacket. I've got a very good hunt, <laughs> hunter's element spring sabre jacket. Now, hang on, I just want to get back to that, this creating memories thing that Mike brought up. And Ian, you and I have been kicking around for a very long time. And you'd have to say some of our best stories are in the hills or at the Mai Mai. And, and they're the ones that we go back to all the time, have a laugh at over a few beers. Um, we don't need to necessarily talk about any of those memories. But, would, <laughs> but wouldn't you say that, that's, that going into the hills does create some of those the, the best memories of... That, and the best memories and the closest bonds with friends? Yeah, of course. It's, yeah, a lot of the hunters that, that listen to your show would already know that just getting out there with the people, struggling along together, helping each other out, it just builds, you know, and, it, and it's it just makes friendship stronger any given day. Yeah, I recently wrote an article for NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine, and we talked exact. I talked about that exactly, and that was that that whatever's going to happen in the hills, it's going to be powerful when you're with other people. Whether it's bad or good, it's going to have a powerful outcome. Now, Mike, duck shooting. Yes. Duck shooting yes. coming up, and we see decoys going up in the shops in the last couple of days. That gets us excited. I mentally actually managed to spend $1,000 on decoys today. Didn't actually <laughs> didn't shell out for any of those. But we were just talking off air, um, and you had a bit of advice for buying deeks. What's, you want to go into that again, or have you forgotten already? No, no, I'll recover that, but I've still, got, I've just got a rebuttal to your last statement. You can't mentally spend a thousand dollars on decoys. You must spend money on decoys. So that's targeted at the significant others who say, "Oh, you're spending ten months on decoys." Just remember that it's what we do. We love it. It is us. So when you say you're not spending that money, it's actually a personal attack 
And that, you know, I, I, no, I actually mean that in all... I actually mean that in all seriousness. Stop your laughing. It is a personal attack. Um, yes, okay, now decoys. Uh, Ian was introduced at the duck shooting, was it last year, Ian? Yeah, okay, last year. And because I've been doing it longer than most, I suppose. I'm getting on a bit now. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, since Jeebus walked on water. Um, and the question was, should I spend X amount of dollars on a lot of decoys say 50 decoys or spend the same amount of money on top-end high-quality decoys my experience where I shoot is you do a bit of a blend you spend say 25% of your budget on the flocked decoys you know the you know the, the hundred dollar a pop decoys I mean they're not that much but you know what I'm getting at and then you spend the rest on your cheap decoys and then during the season you should be changing your decoy pattern so the first weekend you want massive decoys out you want as many decoys as you can fit while still leaving a landing hole. Then as the season progresses, the ducks become a bit more wary, you drop your numbers down, so you take all your shit ones out and just leave your good ones there. Then later in the season, again, because I shoot every weekend, most don't, so this won't apply to most bloody duck shooters. Then the last half of the season, I only have two to four decoys out, and they are my premium decoys. I have them on drawstrings, I have them rocking side to side, motion, make it look like a duck, and they'll, you know, chances are they'll come in. I just realised something, that the four people that we've got here were the, the four of us, five, but the four people here were the four, the four guys on the, t the table, were that we were together opening weekend last year. It was us four, uh, and my mys aren't too far apart, but it was, was Mike and James over at Mike's hotel, and Ian and I up at the, um, at, well it's a sky loft really, the lodge we call it. <laughs> well, I ain't a motel. Mm. Anyway, uh, this was us. This was our group. So, remember last year, uh, it was your first opening, wasn't it? Yeah, it was my first opening day, and um, no, it was awesome, man. It's like I'm so looking forward to hopefully being invited in somewhere again for this season. Um, and this time, I'll bring better food. I'll bring food. Um, it was just such a great time, and we had such great weather for it. I mean, as well. I mean. But for me, like, I'm used to, you know, duck season cracking ice and, you know, but when you're sitting out in shorts and stuff, like, yeah, that that's okay. You know what? And again, same thing. doesn't matter what the weather's doing. It was still a good time. The only thing that worried me is James didn't stop at shorts. He kept taking layers off. That's, I don't know if it's Canadian custom or what, but I had to put him straight that here in Kiwiland, that doesn't wash. I thought it was the hotel hotel. It's, yeah. it's <laughs> the no-tell hotel. And, uh, and what came from that, though, is that Mike's introduced another person who's really got into that craft and that, that sport of duck shooting. Um, Ian now uh, has, has definitely cemented himself in our, in our group, and I did air brackets then, but in, in that, that end of the lake. When um, I want to go over this, because although this isn't the, the topic for today's show, when looking to set up for a Mai Mai, or actually no, when wanting to introduce someone new to duck shooting, what's your advice? So I'm doing the introducing. Someone's come to me and asked, can you take me duck shooting? Take them duck shooting. That's it. There's, there's nothing out. You know, James was a virgin last year at duck shooting. And because of a last minute, I think it was Thursday, my uh, Thursday last opening, my um, normal mate that come was terribly ill, so he couldn't come and... I had a bitch to you, Stephen, about it. Oh, you know, I'll be there by myself. And, and this means said, oh, i got this strange fella you can take. And 
And all he turned up with was a borrowed shotgun. Now that's all he needed because it was his. Fi- I don't want him to bring gear that we don't. Uh, a we don't need, or B is not what we need. And so just you know, keep, first couple of years don't spend a lot of money on it. Tag along with someone. Oops. Um, first year spend as much as you as you can. Um, you know, most duck shooters or hunters. We love introducing people to our craft. You know, Ian, I mean, you know, I only met him for the first time last year and it was quite nice to have another godless heathen on the lake, really. But, you know, it's bloody neat to um, take someone out, introduce them to the craft and get them hooked and see the passion. I can still see James's face, his first shot last year. Cracking shot, a duck was coming in, right to left, 25 yards out, James up, boom, dead duck. Um, that's when I realised he had no shorts on uh, and and had to watch myself. I was so excited. <laughs> no, but the other thing, though, that, that helped me with that day, though, too, was also understanding what was coming up. So getting the opportunity to go, you know, and hit some clays with you guys, you know, those lead-up moments are, to me, were fantastic. You know, even a couple of weeks ago, you and I went out for a stock, you know, and, and just to see different ideas... And how guys go about that, you know, was fantastic. But, you know, it's, it's just good to kind of great. I think it, for me, at least, it was great to gradually get broken in to that aspect. And especially when you're dealing with different kinds of deer. And don't you be giggling. <laughs> yeah, phrasing. <laughs> One of the funniest stories about taking James deer stalking is where like, James is Canadian, obviously, if you haven't got it. No, he is not a Trumpian. He is Canadian. Now, he... <laughs> we're sneaking along and and he keeps looking over his shoulders and he's looking around and I'm thinking you know we're going this way dude and uh, you know just follow me but he keeps looking around you know we sat down on a bluff and we're looking out and I said why do you keep looking around mate and he said it's the funniest thing he says back home we're used to cougars buddy from bears following us so I keep looking for them and that I've thought of that so many times since it's given me a great story from taking a virgin out hunting um and that's what it's about, you know. And since last duck shooting, James and I have become pretty good mates. Um, and shorts on, mates. And although, although upon turning up this afternoon, I did give him a big slippy cut, a kiss on the cheek, which he seemed to rather enjoy. And that's like, yeah, that's cool. Um, I saw that your beard stuck together like Velcro, you weirdos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was a bit hard to get pulled apart, actually. I, I know it was that or James's hand on the back of my head, one of the two. <laughs> Now, Ian, Ian, you, you've got some plans for duck shooting this year. You're going to, we're going to do, well, we and you, mainly you. you. There's some improvements we made to the old Mai Mai. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to, you're going to get some decoys. You came in to look today. Mike's given you some advice. How do you, and we've talked about this on the show before, how do you go home and tell wife, I need to spend money on decoys, on plastic bath toys? Uh, I need to spend money on decoys. That's it. Don't <laughs> store them at my place. No, you got to be open and honest with them, and and you got to just approach it however your relationship's going to roll. But at the end of the day, you know, she, as long as she's supportive, then she's going to recognise that you know you're going out there having a bit of healthy fun with the boys, you know, and they'll be behind you. And is it not fair that you know if this is your passion and this is your thing, you know, why wouldn't the person that you care about most want to support that to a certain degree? And when in doubt, buy your shoes. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, and there are going to be times, it's reciprocal, you know, there are going to be times where she wants to go out and, and spend money on a dress or whatever silly shit women do. Um, but, um, Hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm supportive of that, so, uh, yeah, it's all good. And, and my wife's been very good about it, so, yeah, she, she watches the money and, and I spend it, so, yeah, it works out, it works out. But just be honest, be honest. As long as I get bought another horse, I'm happy. Yeah, and also talk to your wife. Like, when you get back, you know, talk to her and she'll see the excitement and then that's going to gear you up for next year. She's going to be, you know, oh, he had a lot of fun last year and, and a lot of good stories with the boys, so they'll recognise that. Open and honest, mate. That's actually a very good point and something I'm not great at. You know, I go hunting and I have all these stories floating around my head and the first words out of her mouth is, how's your day? You know, how's your hunt? Oh, it's good. Mm-hmm. I'm, that's, a I'm, that's a man habit. You know, I, I'm not good at communicating my stories to my significant other. I'm not. So she does get a bit pissed off at times. In fact, it's more than pissed off, it's effed off at times. When I come home, say hi, have a shower and go to bed. She wants those stories, you know, so you actually raise a very good point. Um, I'm lucky that we have a four-year-old dog, and my excuse is she needs exercise. So I'm actually pushed out the door to go hunting. Um, so I'm never going to be without a do- I'm never going to be without a dog. <laughs> well, the other thing you guys could do is take your wives with you. You'll hear in a few moments the strangling of Stephen Spargo. <laughs> what about you, James? What do you reckon? You know what? I think Karen would really enjoy it. Like, my wife, is she is outdoorsy, um, and she's really practical. Like, when we came home and we picked off a couple of rabbits, I don't know, that was a few months ago, she thought it was great. She thought it was fantastic, you know? And to her, it was just like, oh, great, you picked up a chicken. You know, But she and she enjoys the adventure. So when I come home from getting the opportunity to go hunt with, with you guys and, and get out, she loves hearing the 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 stories because at the end of the day it's spreading the stoke, you know. But and I, but it depends though. I think also if your partner's wired for it. And I know there's going to be some guys who are like, you know what? No, 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 no. This is my time. And I think respecting your women. time. What's that? And some women. And some women. All people in general, right? There's there's times when you need to do your own thing, and there's times when it's awesome to share it. You know, like you 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 took Vanilla out for for a stock a while ago. You know, and it sounded like it was a fantastic experience that you that Fenella really enjoyed and everybody really enjoyed. You know, that's I don't think there's you can have a better gift than that than being able to share a story and experience with someone who you share a life with. But so long as that's what they want to do, if you're going to drag them out because they're not going to enjoy it, especially to go for a weekend and it's too long a period of time, then it's never going to work and it's always going to be a scrap, right? But that's just relationship dynamics. Ian, what about you? You reckon Haley'd go out? No, Haley's not a, a an out there doing it sort of person. Um, she's been out a couple of times just just to be gracious, and it's been okay. But the whole mozzie thing just pisses her off no end. So, no, she won't. Um, we won't be going out to the the mai mai on on any of the um, duck shooting weekends. We might go out and take the girls out, and, but she'd be doing it for the girls, not so much for herself. So, no. But she's definitely supportive, and and she's always um, keen to hear the stories and. And as I say, sharing the stories and, and sharing the excitement um, for her is the is the is the, the reward or is the the reason to allow. Now I want to move on to another topic. I've become a little bit inspired by this caliber 6.5 Creedmoor. I've taken it out to the range. I haven't shot an animal with it yet, and I wanted to touch base with you, Mike, because I'm looking at getting something in that caliber. Really liked it. It's got. 
great BC. It's got great terminal ballistics as well. The Americans are going nuts on it. Um, I wanted to get your opinion. 6.5 Creedmoor, very similar to the 260 in lots of ways. Lots of ways, I'd say. What, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you reckon? Basically, I've got a 6.5. I won't shoot a caliber I don't like. So it's my go-to for anywhere that's not in bush because the way I've got my rig set up, it, it's quite long. Um, you know, big hardy Gen 5 stealth on the end of it. It's not a shortened barrel because I want high velocity at long range. You know, bush pigs are fine at 15 inches, but I've kept it at the, at the standard length. Um, it, all the 6.5 pills are fantastic. Go for high BC. Um, the best 6.5 uh, projectile, in my opinion, for game is the new ELDX from Hornady. It's just off the chart, and it does what it says. It, it, it is a fantastic round. Um, you know, in fact, that fellow I shot uh, with you, I mean, that was a you know, 260 rem neck shot at 200 and I can't remember, it was well over 200 metres. Near, near it, was, it was 290 or something, yeah, and I was, I actually remember I got a bit of grief from Pete because when I got the animal, I always liked to make sure I hit exactly where I aimed and I put my finger in the, in the entry hole and said, ah, shit, and he goes, what's wrong? I said I was five mils out. And he looked at me, and you know, this guy is in the military, and you know he knows shooting. And he just sort of laughed and said, "You're an idiot." But that's how fanatical I am about my shot placement. And the 6.5 does it. I can, you know, I can go to a range and group at 300 meters, so five shots are in my thumbnail, and my thumbs aren't as big as pint glasses. So, getting back to the you know, terminal ballistics, the sectional density is is unrivaled. Um, you can shoot, you know, I'd be shooting goats with mine out to 800 in the head and neck, um, which I don't know if you've witnessed that. No, you haven't actually. Um, but great all-round caliber. It really is. You can't go wrong. You know. yeah. 260 Ram versus 6.5 Creedmoor. What's the, first of all, what's the difference? And I'm going to get you to explain that if you can. And uh, what, what are your opinion? The difference is it's it's a different cartridge. That's where it stops. Everything else is basically identical. When I was looking at buying my first 6.5, I went for the 260 rem. Um, but the 6.5, upon hindsight, everything's a wee bit more readily available. Um, I went 260 because I like to be a wee bit different. Um, pretty much the same. It's all apples for apples, really. You know, it's a it's a 6.5 pill, it weighs X, so 143 grains, and the faster you can drive that said pill, the longer you can shoot for, you know, longer distance you can shoot for. So, have a look in a reloading book, work out where you want to hunt, what you want to use it for, and pick one that matches your application. You don't use a screwdriver for a hammer. Well, actually you might, but, um, you, you know, so... You wouldn't take a 300 wind mag out shooting rabbits unless you just want to increase increase your. And <laughs> I said yes, you would. Fuck it. Um, you know, so match your tool to your required task. Would you agree though? Because the reason that the 6.5 Creedmoor is appealing to me is for close range stuff, spectacular, almost flat. Um, the the drop over 500 is 
negligible it's very very little so for for close range and medium to long range i'm reading stories about guys doing loads that are shooting up to 1300 meters on deer um 1400 meters plus on goats that's why i'm choosing it. i'm thinking it just sounds right i've shot it at the range really liking hardly any kick you know it doesn't knock me around whatsoever uh, even unlike a 7 8 which gives a bit of a boot and two 70 cannons uh, that Ian's sitting over there but <laughs> um, for me it just seems like a great cartridge all around back to a physics class for a moment force equals mass times acceleration so the so the force in this equation is your recoil so it doesn't matter what caliber you've got if you're driving a 143 grain pill and mine for example is coming out my brow at just under 3,000 feet a second you've got X amount of force coming back on your shoulder if you've got a 143 grain pull in a 308 doing the same velocity therefore the force coming back is the same the only difference is the setup of your rig um, if you've got a really heavy rig it takes more energy to push that back in your shoulder as felt recoil so so just be careful Today I've been in the range with the Forbes 260 uh, rem of the customers and this thing you can hold by the muzzle and hand it to someone so they're grabbing the stock and you can do it with one hand comfortably. It's like three and a half pounds. It's ridiculously light. It is not suppressed. It kicks like a mother truck. It really does. Um, mine is a Tika. It's suppressed. It's, a, it's got a big heavy scope on it for long range. It is a water pistol. So... A lot of that felt recoil is down to other factors than the load. Always remember that. Okay, really, really good point. And I and I am taking all those on board. What makes though the 260 or the 6.5, whatever 6.5 projectile, such a tech driver? As in my opinion, from what I've read, it's just that it's a very modern caliber. It's had all the benefits of modern uh, projectile design, and that's actually about it. It's it, is there more to it than that? There is slightly more to it. It has been around for a while. You know, 6.5s have been around since the uh, Second World War. They were never very favourable, um, but we seem to be driven a lot by the American markets. Target shooters, yes, they are. They are absolute tax drivers, virtually straight out of the box. Um, you can actually play with that, though, and load to your rifle and get it even tight. You know, I got mine out of the box. Okay, it was shooting one-inch groups. I've got mine now shooting four-millimeter grouping at 100. Um, that's because I've got the time and ability to do it, and I'm, you know, and I'm not paying for that service. It's me doing it. Um, but it's just, if you have a look at a projectile, they're incredibly sleek and long. So they are more stable because there's more... It's more aerodynamic than a lot of others. It's not as, you know, like a 308. It's got a big... Um, the Olgov on it is really big and sharp. 6.5 is long, sleek, and slender. It's like a supermodel. It really is. It, in my opinion, it's one of the most underrated projectiles on the market. But it is becoming more and more popular. And it's awesome. It really is. We're going to move on to something else. Now, James, last time you appeared on the show... In an official capacity, you were working for Jetboil at the time. Great product. Still love it. Love my Jetboil. Thank you very much for that, by the way. 
now you work for Hunter's Element. So you are in the thick. You've gone from sort of the outdoor industry that edged its way into hunting to being involved with a hunting brand through and through. Has that changed your outlook at all on the industry? In terms of the industry as, of outdoor as a whole, um, a little bit. I mean, I'm used to working. It's really interesting because I'm used to working with individuals who are very passionate about getting into the outdoors and who gear themselves to handle incredibly harsh climates, you know, minus 36 degrees in Canada and torrential rain and plus 36 degrees in Canada. And it's interesting because the bush here in New Zealand is that much harsher, and yet people dress themselves worse and therefore then get more reluctant to go out. And that, that kind of bewilders me a little bit. They're almost untechnical in, in what they want to wear. And it's... Um, so that's that's kind of surprised me a little bit, um, but it's you know what it's been great being able to get onto the other side of the outdoor cycle of it. Just because you know at the end of the day, I'm really stoked about getting people out in the outdoors. One big thing I think, and I said this in an interview I was given, was that as hunters we participate or we choose to participate in the outdoors rather than just observe. Now, to some people that is a negative thing but I don't think I don't think it is I think that we take part in the outdoors and we we're inherently involved in it rather than just going walking a path and looking at pretty views there's nothing wrong with that by the way that's a great thing to do uh, yeah, yeah absolutely there's time for that as well and I, I don't have any problem with anyone that does just that but has your involvement so since you've been involved in the hunting industry and particularly knowing us and going out doing some duck shooting some deer stalking has the way you look at the outdoors changed from being a observer maybe to being a full-on participant and in, in my words yeah no i hear what you're saying it's it's always better to be a i think it's you're always better to be a you know a participant rather than a spectator um and i think being involved and understanding a little bit more of the biodiversity side of New Zealand, which is unique to what I'm used to. I mean, I'm used to you have to get a tag and you have to you're only allowed maybe two kills per year. Um, you have to look at what numbers are being done. Um, it does change things very much so. But it's, you know, to me, really, it only furthers my love of the outdoors um, and getting exposed into harsher climates, harsher environments you know and just seeing more and it's uh you know it's it's been it's been awesome um one of the things i'm very passionate about as hunters or i think that that hunters need to be more passionate about is that we are providers so in this country in particular there's not a whole lot of trophy hunting that goes on i think trophy hunting is kind of something that happens and it's great but the the goal is food gathering in most cases and even when it's not food gathering, that food is brought back and used. You know, I think that I think we are providers in our community, and for lots of hunters, that's the number one goal: is that that bringing meat home or bringing food home and putting it on the table. What would you say about that, Mike? And then I'll get to Ian and just give you some time to contemplate that. I would agree. Um, while I'm from a very small family unit now, when we were younger and growing up in rural king country. Uh, we hunted, A, for the love of hunting, being outdoors, not walking the beaten path, you know, and I was taught not so much, not so much um, bush craft, but bush smarts when I was younger. Knowing how to walk into something without, a, without first looking at a map, but having a compass 
and knowing your bearings. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying no one should go out there unprepared, ever. But knowing how to get yourself lost, sit down, retrace your steps, remember your landmarks, and walk out safely. Just quickly on that point, uh, I was interviewed by Mark Sainsbury the other day. In fact, if you go back one show, you'll hear that. And one of the points I made on that was that we can survive three days without water. Humans can survive three days without water, and in the bush we can survive three seconds without thinking. That's my point. You know, I, I've done many, many years of hunting and gone into new places. I try and go new places every year just for, you know, I, I, uh, just for my own head it's good. And also I'll see more of the country and you come, you come across things. You know, I've been hunting this one area now for 20 something years. Found a tree stand yesterday I never knew existed. A proper American tree stand. Um, I've obviously walked underneath it a few times but never actually noticed it. Really weird but um, the providing part of it, that's the second reason we hunted. Okay we grew up on a farm we could slaughter our own stock but that's loss of income so we used to go hunting and we had wild cattle we had wild sheep deer goats pigs so it is a providing thing and it's part of who i am you know hunting is who i am and when i get a deer and i don't particularly need the meat i won't shoot it unless i know of someone who does e.g when you know my comment earlier you know so new in was a bit short of meat so okay I'll tip this deer over and give him the deer and to me seeing Ian's face when I'm driving back into town hey dude you want some meat and you know going around dropping it off and seeing his face yeah no it's it's an awesome thing you can do for another human being is help I want to get to you Ian as well that hunters as providers and hunters uh, for me you know I when I when I hunt and I get an animal um, I don't just feed my family, I feed the next door neighbour's family, I feed Ian's family. Um, we seem to feed you meat, Ian, but, but, um, but I feed myself, you know, and it saves me money, and it's about getting free-range, wild, organic meat to the table. Um, I, I, and you do, you tend to give it out, and you share it within your community. And what's, what's powerful about that for me is that that gives hunters that great image. The next-door neighbour that isn't a hunter and hasn't got a hunter in their family her or him or both, are now going to look at hunters favourably. That's how we can combat the anti-hunting lobby that will inevitably get some traction in New Zealand by making sure that we influence 10 or 15 people in our community each. One in 10 New Zealanders identifies as hunters and that's more powerful, I think, than, uh, than anything else that we can do. I disagree slightly with your statement that the anti-hunting lobby is really going to get a foothold in New Zealand. I don't think it ever will get a big foothold like it has has in Australia, the States. Da, da, da. Because it's part of our ethos over here. It, 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 you know, it really is. Okay, real... Now it is. Now it is. No, it always has been. Oh, yes. But the hunting lobby over there... Uh, uh, sorry, the anti-hunting lobby over there has done damage. Over here, I don't think it'll ever gain as much traction as it does anywhere else. No, I don't think it's complacency because we are vocal about it. You know, someone comes along and says, oh, you anti-hunters, why don't you go and get your meat from supermarkets where it's made? And I have heard that argument. Don't get me wrong. I'll 
I'll tell you right now, though, New Zealanders identify more with what hunters are doing in terms of controlling things like rabbit populations and duck populations way more than we even get in Canada. Like in Canada, when we went duck shooting, and I was very proud to show what, what we had collected during open weekend, and man, did I get crap for it. I was compared to as if I was riding on top of a rhino, you know? But, and, but I think it's because New Zealanders understand where their food comes from. And when they have pests and when they have things that get in the way of their agriculture, they understand that that directly affects the economy in, in a way that, that most other cultures don't understand. And, and so, so I think that the, the hunting, I think you get a little bit less people who are against the anti-hunting movement, but you definitely get a lot of people who are wannabes or who want to get in, into that experience. You know of hunting which is fantastic and that's that is unique all right and hunters as providers what's your thoughts yeah i think there's a hundred reasons why people go hunting and it's not all um as noble as just putting food on the table it's definitely one of the, the the benefits of it and it's as you say it's a good thing for hunters to do but um yeah i mean you're just getting out and into the wild and, and that in itself that silence and you versus nature that's just amazing and, and i think that's a large part of why most people would get into it um that's also about the um, about the anti uh, anti hunting lobby in New Zealand, I don't think it can get a major foothold because our prey or the the hunting species that we're going after they're all introduced, so they can't be oh this thing's been here since before we were and it, deer were an introduced species they're a pest species you know to some extent they may occupy the same ecological ecological niche as Moa have. Uh, and there are studies that are, are looking into that, um, but they're still a pest species, and they can't be left uh, un, you know, unchecked. And it's the same with well, possums, rabbits, uh, goats. Goats are, you know, that, that's an old farming species. It just got wild on us. So, yeah, yeah. hang on, hang on, hang on. One thing I disagree with is that we've now delivered a rational argument, and I personally believe the anti-hunting lobby in most countries, most, is not based on ration rationale. It's based purely on emotion. They think the poor animal in the hills, um, Bambi running free, and the dirty, scary, ugly hunter comes up, puts a bullet in it, and then chases it. They think it's a blood sport. It's not nice to call in ugly and scary. <laughs> what, I'm not scared of deer. What, <laughs> what the anti-hunters fail to realise... So, they think it's okay to raise what was a wild animal behind fences drench it, inoculate it, make it breed repeatedly. Chase it with dogs, chase it with motorbikes, put it on trucks, take it to a slaughterhouse. Now, if that's their idea of being humane, then I think they need to reevaluate their thought processes. I go out into the wild, I stalk my animals, it doesn't know I'm there, all of a sudden it's no longer conscious. That's it. Tell me what's inhumane about that. I will sit and discuss with anybody that on that point alone for hours. I just want to add, we're not anti-farming. <laughs> we're not anti-farming. We're just we're just really pushing that as an argument. I mean, it's uh, it's just I think uh, if you heart back, I've, we've done many discussions about vegetarians, and I personally believe vegetarians who are vegetarian for ethical reasons and hunters are on completely the same page different sides of, a, of, a, of the coin and they're never going to meet on that last point but I personally believe they're on the same page they, they've made a conscious decision about where their food comes from yeah. absolutely I mean this is the thing that I always find really interesting especially when you go to urban centers and it's all about organic and you know and I want to go back to the old way of eating okay well then go collect it 
You know, but I think that goes back to our original point, though, of giving exposure to those people who don't understand the balance of it and the experience of it. I think hunting for meat is one thing, but you can get meat anywhere. I think it's the experience of collecting that meat. You know, I think it's the experience of getting outside and, and coming home with, with something to show at the end of the day. Like, you know, like if, like if you build something at work, when you produce something, that gives you a sense of worth. And I think when you can do that in the outdoors, that's something that's very, very special. And that's what changes people's perception of the passion of the activity that we all love so much. The ones that really, really upset me are those who are happy for someone else to kill meat for them and buy it off a polystyrene bloody container, but they object to me getting my hands bloody to get my own food. Them and I need to have a discussion because I will try and change their minds on that viewpoint. Yeah, beautiful point. That is our job is to change their minds without being pricks. I have to add that. Let's look online at what goes on. Let's look at what some of these assholes, and that's all they are, online, that go straight at people. That's not what this is about. All it is is education. Some people have had, yeah, we need to have a rational, calm discussion with people and and help them to understand. And if they don't agree with us, that's beautiful. We live in a democracy. People can have different opinions, and and let's let's let them have different opinions as long as we're having a sensible discussion. What do you reckon? Absolutely. You know, I've had had many discussions with people who hold vehemently different viewpoints than my own um, on you know, on different to- you know, many topics um, but one in particular is different and and all you can hope is that you plant a seed yeah. just plant a seed and say hey look you know that that dude we spoke for you know two hours whatever it was he didn't call me an idiot an asshole a greenie yeah. you know a wannabe vegan whatever he just said here's my viewpoint show me yours and I'll try and give you a rebuttal and see if we can go backwards and forwards. And some of them have walked away saying, hey, look, you've changed my mind on on, on that topic. Um, some, some have said, no, I think you're an idiot. And hey, that's cool. Actually, I can, I can testify to that. Now, we're not going to go into what the topic was, but I remember, Mike, you and I having a very, very long discussion one day. And I remember feeling like I almost left that discussion... And we'd grow in a part, <laughs> you know, like a, a, yep, it had actually caused a riff. Now we're not going to go into what the topic was, but that had done something quite the opposite, hadn't it? I'd planted that seed, and it can happen, can't it? And and by the way, when I plant seeds, I tend to do it a lot softer than the likes of you and Ian. Um, I, I pick my battles a whole lot differently. Um, that's to say, what you do is wrong, but don't you think it can happen, can't it? You that discussion, you misplaced my going. Um quiet for for a rift I was going quiet because I was thinking how wrong my previous ideas were about that topic you gave me new information I evaluated that in my head and what did I say to you the next day I had changed my mind and that's what this whole life is about is learning changing your perceptions changing your beliefs if your beliefs are wrong and there's evidence to prove that hey you're wrong from a trusted source and a, yeah, a trusted verifiable source and when it comes to the whole uh, animal cruelty versus hunting PETA is not a verifiable trusted source um, weigh the facts up if the facts are stronger than your beliefs you have to change your beliefs simple as that 
Hang on, guy's getting us beer. Hang on, I need to. <laughs> now I just let's let's bring back to this thing. Holy shit, 100 shows. When I started the hunting show, I was still working in commercial radio at the time, and the thing that worried me was, am I going to have enough topics? Am I going to be able to keep this going? It is an online forum. Am I going to be able to make sure I keep this interesting? And I didn't want to end up a gun show. And we've done guns, and we've done reloading, and we've done all that too. I didn't want to end up solely a a gun show. The motive for the show was that hunters have compelling stories. They're great people, but they're not good at making sure or getting that message out to the public at large. Have I achieved that? No. (laughs) No, and I don't think I ever will, uh, to my own satisfaction. But some 60,000, 60,000 hunters tune into my show. Now, they're not all hunters. Some of them are new acquisitions. They're people that are interested in hunting in the outdoors. What, what do you think that means? 60,000 and some around 40,000 of those are Kiwis. What do you think that means? Why so many? Why so many want to listen to me, of <laughs> all people, gas bag about this topic? Because I'm not. Mike Felton, you'll tell me. I am not at the pinnacle of this craft. I'm somewhere, uh, you know, I'm in it. And I love it. You've just, just stopped shit and yeller. Um, now, that's getting back to I'm a bit blunter than you how I plant seeds. Yeah. That's. Um, you're getting better, absolutely. Um, you're someone like myself who's done pretty much nearly 40 years of hunting and you've done 10? 10 a bit, yeah. Yeah, 10 a bit, you know. So, um, why do you have so many listeners? You and I had a discussion with a chap. In hunting and fishing store one day we're standing by the ammunition i've never forgotten the story um you and i were talking some rubbish about so I, I can't remember you know what the topic was Let's talk rubbish really <laughs> yeah but rubbish is interesting um you know things that you and i talk about most people would never consider in their lifetimes um but and this guy was looking at us strangely and he comes over and he says are you mike fountain and stephen spargo I, 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 you, I don't know if you remember this. And we said, well, I said, well, if I'm not in trouble, yes, I'm Mike Felton. <laughs> you know, as long as your missus isn't, you know. Um, anyway, um, and he said, oh, he said, I'd just like to tell you guys, you know, the show's great. And here's why. He, you know, he verified his statement. He was in the middle of Australia somewhere, living with Aborigines for X amount of times. And every Monday afternoon, he looked forward to the hunting show to get a little slice of Aotearoa. To keep him grounded in his roots, who's a married chap, and to keep him grounded in his roots, and just to hear the Kiwi voice, um, the vernacular we use is quite unique, and he missed it. So there's one reason. Another reason is, you know, people want to hear different. But you know, I've been hunting as I said 40 plus years, and I still learn new shit every day. There's not one hunter out there who knows everything. If they do, they're lying. Um, if they if they don't admit the lying, um, we can learn off newbies every single time we take them hunting. We can learn from a little snippet that someone says, an off-the-cuff remark. Um, go, holy shit, I hadn't thought of that. You know, so people are interested in learning whether they realise that or not. You know, that's another reason. Another reason is look where we live. Yeah. Look at the opportunities we have on our back doorstep. We're sitting 100 metres from the biggest puddle in the North Island, full of fish. 
We're sitting within a half hour's drive of some of the best hunting in the world. Yeah. We're sitting in the dairy centre of the Central North Island. There's more dairy cows here than visitors. Um, we live in a very privileged country. And I don't mean just privileged in that sense, but privileged in every sense. We don't have to worry about a lot of the world's worries. Um, so we can just be Kiwis and enjoy what we've got. We're only here for a short time. When I die, my atoms return to the universe from whence I came. I'm going to live every day like it's my last because it damn well could be. James, what do you reckon? Why, why is it that so many people have um, subscribed? That's the great thing. I could put out a show and it could be about nothing and the subscriptions alone have enough audience. Why do so many people listen to the show? And Actually, before I go, I wonder... Is it because hunters have had to become information seekers? We're not. Most of their content isn't mainstream. They've had to go search for it, and they find me sometimes. But why do you think? Why do you think people listen to the show? I think the the idea of bushcraft is generally passed from father to son and father to son, and I think that that audience is now broadening to daughters and from moms to sons. And but I think that that if the the vast number of people who get out are tired of listening to singular opinions because they realize that a singular opinion is just the quickest way to get lost. And it's it's about broadening your learning, broadening your scope, and broadening your view. And I think the really cool thing about this program is you get a different opinion and you get a different view and a different vantage point with each episode of another aspect of the outdoors. And, you know, this is New Zealand. This is Aotearoa. Like, people come here for a different kind of vacation every time they come here. Some people come here just to fly fish, and then the next time they're going to come back for Red Stag, and the next time they're going to come back, you know, for Taha. Like, there's endless possibilities. So that then gives you an endless menu of adventure. And I think that the more you can get exposed to that, but especially not from someone who feels they know everything, but from someone who asks the questions, which you do so well, then that prompts more questions. And that, therefore, creates engagement. And you know what? So how can you not... Like, for me, I listen all the time when I'm driving in, you know, my track. Um, I'm either listening to you or I'm listening to ice hockey back in Canada. <laughs> you know? Um, it's, it, it has its moments. But it's, you know, but I think it's, 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 again, it's sharing ideas rather than sharing singular person's opinions. That's what drives me nuts about, you know, unfortunately, listening to news and talk radio. Is it's just the same... It's the same opinion over and over and over again. And that's the big difference that the hunting show, I think, offers to its audience. I'm, I'm going to ask both of you, and maybe Ian, um, favorite show. The last hundred shows. What is your favorite show? Now, that's really putting you on the spot. And I'm going to talk about mine. And it was unexpected. It's not... <laughs> no, no, it's, a, it's an unusual one. My favorite show... Well, actually, my favorite show was the first, um, really. It was with Clyde Graff. And I, I have a lot of time for Clyde. It was on 1080, and that's a that's a big con, uh, contentious issue in New Zealand for our overseas listeners. But then after that, it was with Nathan from Terminal Ballistic Studies. Why did I like that show? I spoke to Nathan on the phone. Whenever I do a an interview, I generally ring up, unless it's with these guys, and I do some prep. This is what we're going to talk about. These are some of the questions I'm probably going to ask. I give them the spiel. It's meant to sound like two mates or three mates or a group of mates having a, a chat. We really are meant to sit around, and, and, and it's, it's non-confrontational. It's not hard news. 
And from that conversation I have with him, I generally get a really good gauge on what the interview is going to run like and how much work I'm going to have to put in because there's hard interviews and there's easy interviews. Now, Nathan, on the phone leading up to that, and I know Nathan listens to the show, so I'm sorry if I offend you, Nathan, that first conversation off here I found extremely awkward. It was hard work. And I think he was just sussing me out. Yet when we recorded the show, he had a lot of decent content, loved his content. I had a shitload of information. He sounded great. He presented well. And by the way, Nathan, I still refer people to your website all the time. So that's one of my favorite shows. Mike, stop looking at the redhead and <laughs> and talk to me. What was your favorite show that you've listened to? The Force looks strong with that one. That's why I was looking. I... <laughs> I don't like to have, have favourite shows for fear of offending the other shows. I get a little bit out of each and every show. And, you know, the, uh, the little interview you did with Mark Sainsbury, for example, you know, I thought was pretty good. And, yes, you did leave some stuff out, but you covered the basics yeah. beautifully. Uh, the one you did with uh, the lower boot guy, I learned how to fit boots. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Terminal Ballistics, I learned a bit about, you know, my craft, you know, when it comes to the related side of thing. So... <clears throat> Favourite shows, uh, there was one a while ago, but I don't think it was yours. I can't remember. Now, hang on. I remember a conversation we had, and you listened to the show with Marama Fox. Yes, that's the one. Now, I want to talk to you about that. You listened to the show with Marama Fox. Now, Marama, I've met a couple of times off here. Um, For those of you who haven't listened to that show, she's, at the time, the Minister of Maori Affairs or co-leader of the Maori Party. And she's not a hunter. But... You and I had a conversation about that, and you found that show, I remember, extremely interesting. One, she made some great points. Two, I made some really good points. Um, I, I know I did. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, I did. I, I made some really interesting points. I made some interesting arguments um, and non-confrontational. Is there a redhead back again? Why are we doing that weird thing when you're looking? Eyebrows. Fenella's right here. That's who we're looking at. <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> Bloody shows at pubs. I should have learned. Okay, so the, 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 the Marama Fox show, what, did, what, what was it that was interesting for you? I, <laughs> I like to understand both sides of an argument. I'll rephrase that. I am endeavouring to understand both sides of an argument before I form an opinion I will pass on to others. I don't know if there's a shorter way of saying that. I had some opinions I hadn't voiced regarding the uh, Treaty of Waitangi, um, regarding uh, some other issues she raised. She gave me new information, which I then clarified with you, because you were dealing with her firsthand, and you're a bit more clued up on those uh, areas than I am. New information became available. I had to reevaluate, and I did. And private versus public land. The yes, and that was one of the ones. And I've had a few discussions with hunters since. I'm sick and effing tired of hunters. Oh, it's Mary Land. It's racist. Get over yourselves. We all fell out of the same tree. I don't care if I offend anyone. If I offend, I if, if, if I, if I'm offending your listeners, it's because they need to look at more evidence and understand where I'm coming from. Um, we are one race. We are the human race. Why is it any different? than driving past a farmer's paddock that quite clearly says and Paddy's standing behind this sign private property keep out 
Where is the difference? The difference is in the racist minds of those reading the sign. That's it. Blunt. That's how I'm planting my seed with a fucking sledgehammer. Because people need to get away from this. It is nothing but p private land. End of story. Doesn't matter who owns it. If it's Shania Twain. Oh, bloody Canadians. It doesn't matter. It's just private land. And, and I had been thinking that for a while. And that really affirmed what I was thinking. And that was probably one of the biggest things I got out of it. And I am now more vocal about that because I have more information I can give out to those who try and rebuttal it. Okay, James, your favourite show? I got lost in Shania Twain. Um, you know what? Honestly, one of my favourite shows was the one with Felton and you and Mark Clinch, who unfortunately couldn't be here today. Um, I re-listened to the Duck Call show over and over and over again and was practicing in my truck in downtown Auckland. Freaking Jaffa's out, man. It was great fun. Um, that was a really, really good one. I also really liked the episode that you did with Anthony Giorgiali. Um, I thought it was a fantastic interview. You know, again, getting people exposed to a little more methods of cooking. Um, I thought that, you know, the discussion that you were having about getting youth out into the bush, um, in particular with uh, the Scouts organization. That creates empathy to the hunting movement. That creates exposure to the elements and being able to adapt to surroundings and changing conditions. That, to me, as a Canadian, is the quintessential element of Kiwiana. Um, those really kind of resonated with me. I thought the Long dis the Distance show was really, really cool also that got you totally turned on, Mike, about you know, um, about getting into long-range ballistics. Um, that was really, really engaging, but mostly because you could just hear, you know, you, Spargo, almost orgasmic as, uh, you know, each shot, oh, you know? <laughs> I couldn't tell if you were calling in something or just, you know, having a, a private moment. Um, but no, it's, it's, but it's, um, you know, I think <laughs> a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Mm. You know, but I think it's it's when people start getting passionate. Some of the phoning shows that you've had with industry reps and stuff, and you know, and the support you get from them is fantastic. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that because I've got something on the table for you guys that you don't know about. Um, but I think some of those are fantastic, you know. And good old Cab Stewart calls in from Loa. He's fantastic. Um, is good, but especially when you get talking about. Furthering people's experiences out in the bush. I keep beating it on with this, but it's... Man, that to me gets me stoked because I learn. And I think that's something that's great that we are passionate about, getting youth into the outdoors. I know, Ian, um, you and I have had discussions about that, about the powerful experience that youth can have, and you must have had that as a child. What about you? What, As a young fella, what's your earliest memories of being outdoors? Well, I sort of grew up with it because I was did. I did um, Kears, Cubs, Scouts, Sea Scouts and all of that. Um, my dad was in the army so he was always getting us out. I think probably the earliest memory I've got was actually fishing uh, Mirawai and um, Pihar and all of that. But um, he, dad, my father wasn't really much of a hunter. But he was more of a camper and a tramper. And I loved the outdoors. And that was cool because even now when I'm walking out there, even though I can't catch a deer to save myself, I'm out there and I'm looking at the bugs and I'm looking at the, the fungus there and the, the trees and the vines and the way you just nature just plays around and, and just 
it, it, it almost said struggles, but it doesn't struggle. It just lives and it just is, and yeah, it has to fight other things. But that uh, that is just amazing. And getting a deer would be for me, you know, brilliant. That, that's a good thing to do. But um, it's getting out there and it's just being that quiet stillness away from all this confusion and and, that, and that's my motivation of it. But behind it, but yeah, I, th- I think it's just yeah, you develop a passion and then you go out. I've actually got a memory of you, and I've just done the thing I was going to growl you for, is put a chip in my mouth before I talked. Um, <laughs> that I remember very specifically, we were, I think we were down the end of Kiko Road, quad biked in quite a long way. No, no, I've never told this story, this is a different story, so we, we were a long way in, and anyway, there was this wasp opening up a spider, it was in a, it was in a little, uh, it was a, a spider's nest, or spider's web, and this wasp had obviously got caught, and it was opening up the spider. It had had enough. And um, I remember I said to you, as we watched it for about five minutes, this thing, and I said, it's a hard world out there, or down there. I said, it's a hard world down there. And Hans' comic was, yep. <laughs> Beautiful thing. Yeah, but that's, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, it might have been last year, I posted a video on my Facebook page, and it was a dragonfly, a big, uh, I was sitting through the bush, and this is one of the stories you get. Sitting through the bush, and I could hear this, this sort of, zzz, zzz, and I'm looking around at eye level, what's this noise going, zzz, and look down at my feet, and here's this, I don't know, four to five inch dragonfly being killed by a wasp. Now, I've had I've had discussions with Ian about nature and and you know getting back to learning something new off of someone new you take hunting or you meet and Ian's quite Steve Irwin on that sort of shit man he <laughs> he he really loses his rack look at this bumblebee it's having a field day with this little <laughs> bug and he's just really I'm waiting for the stingray to leap up and get him you know but. It's never too soon for Steve Irwin jokes. I'm sorry. Uh, one, he's Australian, and you know we Kiwis. You know, get over it. Oh, we did love him. He's awesome, dude. He, yeah, and and I hope that you know when my time comes to um, leave our our lovely shores, that I'm in the bush doing what I love to do. That's yeah, that's it. Okay, James. You mentioned this to me the other night. You've got a, and a, air brackets. I don't know why I do air brackets on the radio. It's a really, I've done it for years and years. Air brackets. Um, you, you said you had a surprise. Let, let's talk about the surprise. So, um, Hunter's Element's been involved with the hunting show for quite a while. Um, off and on, yep. We're off and on, and we were really stoked, especially with you know how duck season went, and, and we were stoked especially that you guys liked our jackets. Because at the end of the day, we, we just make gear for New Zealanders. We're actually a New Zealand company um, based out of, out of Lower Hutt, uh, which a lot of people don't realize. And we got tired and fed up of crappy gear that makes you sweaty and gross and doesn't really work, but it's just the status norm. So to commemorate the 100th episode of The Hunting Show, we are going to, in conjunction, hopefully, with The Hunting Show, if you send a cool photo of you in your element hashtag it in your element hashtag the hunting show um we will be giving away one of five crucial mid layers embroidered with the hunting show logo for the 100th anniversary and on top of which 
because it's one of my fit. So we're going to give away five crucial tops in bear camo or in wing camo because we had so much fun during duck season with that embroidered on. On top of which, because it's one of my favorite things, especially after this show, anybody who's, again, if you hashtag in my element, hashtag the, the hunting show and put it on your Facebook page, Stephen, of somebody out there in their element doing it, we're going to give them a brand new Sabre soft shell jacket with a retail value of $229. Again, embroidered with the hunting show on the chest so that they can fly their colors and their love of hunting and so that we can have them covered. It's interesting because I don't even have anything with the hunting show embroidered on. Back of my ute's got it, but that's pretty cool. Wait for my hashtags with all that on it, man. <laughs> Hitting that page, brother. Anyway, guys, that's the 100th show. Hey, look, thank you, James. It's my great pleasure. Thank you for allowing us to be involved. Such a cool prize. I genuinely didn't know. James, hey, I didn't know. I told you I'd have a surprise for you. But you know what? At the end of the day, like, us as a brand, if we can get you guys in good gear so that you can get out there longer, that's why we make gear. We don't make gear because it looks cool. People think our, di- our, our, you know, our camo is like, oh, it's all techy digi. No, it just because it works. It's just something that's different. So if we can help support your, your listenership by putting them in gear that's going to keep them out longer, awesome. And at the end of the day, we just want to see people out there enjoying the outdoors. That's why we make and design gear is purely for that. So it's our great pleasure to, um, to, to be able to do something like that, cover your listenership a little bit better, um, and hopefully enable them to share some more stories with all of us. Mike? Again, thank you. You've you've kind of been around since show twenty five ish. Would it be twenty five, thirty ish, somewhere in there? You're still here. We're still friends. Um, good on you. <laughs> That's all I can say. Good on you. You've been around all that time. And um, a big thank you to Felton Reloading. They do sponsor a fair bit of my duck shooting ammo. Um, that's a hint, by the way. Uh, and if you want to check out Felton Reloaded, www.feltonreloading.co.nz. And for Evolve Outdoors, it's www.hunterselement.co.nz. Um, Mike, any last words? <laughs> that's a weird thing to say. I've got lots of last words, but I'd just like to thank you for putting a show out there that's been missing on the airwaves. Um, you know, and getting more people involved with talking about our craft and you know, and our passions and, and, you know, what makes Kiwi land so goddamn Kiwi. Absolutely. Now, I want a, b- a big thank you to Ian. Um, Ian's one of my best friends in the world, a great guy. Um, he's been with me through some <laughs> really bizarre adventures in the hills. We've had some great times. We've um, we've had some arguments when I feel like he's got me into situations I'm uncomfortable with. And by the way, thank, thank you. With shorts on? <laughs> no, 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 no. These are... Um, I, I, I have to t- say that there's times where, where he's nearly killed me. Um, but but I love him all the same, and thank you so much uh, for all of your help. You've um, you've been with me thick and thin in the hills. You don't often get on the... This is the first time on the show, I think. Um, I think. Second time on the show. But but you don't often get on the show. It's not really your thing, but you're, you're here now, and uh, you've definitely been with me some of the most interesting times I've had in the hills. Zero notice as well. Stephen said come down for a beer and uh, I think I heard about this a couple of days ago but there was no date so thanks for uh, springing it on me mate it's good <laughs> and I do and a big thank you to Fenella who um, lets me get into the hills she um... yeah putting up with you and looking so damn good while she does it you're still over chicked good on you 
Yeah, you do. <laughs> so big thank you to Fernando for letting me get into the hills. And so let, let's see how we go for the next 100. What do you reckon? I reckon the next 100 will be awesome. But most importantly, you waterfowlers out there, 82 more sleeps. <laughs> yes, I'm that childish when it comes to duck shooting. Yes, get over it because I love it. And all you guys out there, just stay safe. You know, I look after each other and, you know, most importantly, care about each other and, and you know, pass on your knowledge and learn a bit more and make another turn. No, don't identify your target. Make sure your target is non-human. You know, I think that's a better way of looking at it. We've had that discussion at length. Let's stop there. Um, <laughs> uh, this show's already gone on a way too long. We're well over an hour. And a big, a big thank you to our sponsors. We've got some great sponsors. Lower Boots. We love Lower. We love what you do. Um, wow, those guys are getting freaky. Two beers in them and they get weird. Um, I'm on Coke. <laughs> Mike's on Coke. Look. Um, a big thank you to Lower Boots. You're one of our mainstay sponsors. We love what you do. Big thank you to Jet Boyle. Big thank you, massive thank you to NZ Outdoor Hunting Magazine. You are our friends. We love what you do as well. And the great thing about NZ Outdoor is they have the same ethos as us. They just want to get people in the outdoors safely. And now, guess what? Big thank you to Hunter's Element. Come on board for the 100th show. Remember, you can win that great prize. All you've got to do is hashtag what? Hashtag in my element. Post your photos onto the Hunting Show Facebook page so that we can see you out hunting in your element. That's all you got to do. Hashtag in my element and, uh, and chuck them on the Hunting Show Facebook page and you could win. These are, these are pretty bloody exclusive. There's only going to be how many? There's only going to be five. These are $100 mid-layers, but the nicest thing about them is they don't make you sweaty and gross like your cheap, crappy fleece. It just does my head in. Um, so we wanted to put uh, your listeners in the absolute best, most technical thing that we make. And you're in one of only five um, shirts. So, look, guys, be careful out there. Make sure you do the hashtagging. I don't want to hear about any accidents this raw. Raw's coming up. Duck shooting's coming up. Let's see if we can have a safe one. Love your work. And good hunting. <laughs>